Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 216, Geeks in Space, recorded November 29th, 2015, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Linux show that's not about Linux, but about life in the context of Linux. I am your host, Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockerel, and joining me this week, as always, are your two stalwart co-hosts, Chris, the Command Light Godfather Neves, and Seth, the Gooey Kid Anderson. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, everyone out there in internet land. I hope you had a great week and ready for the crazies. And welcome back from your tryptophan-induced comas to life. Uh, a lot of us have to go to work Monday as of the recording of this show. Yes. Yeah. So um, what we're doing, uh, as we did at the toward the end of the year last year, we, we did the history of the communications thing, and that was well-received. And so what we're going to do this week, the topic is, uh, by the way, if you got the intro, you are of a certain age. Uh, and you watch them up at show. Um, <laughs> so um, the uh, this is all about um, the things in our life that we see every day that come directly from our exploration of space. Not a timeline thing necessarily, but just hopefully some interesting stuff. So there you go. That is the titular topic of the show. Ooh. But as you know, we shall do uh, <laughs> we shall do much more than that. But first, as Seth mentioned, uh, we. Uh, we just came away from Thanksgiving. Um, this is the Sunday after, so the tryptophan hangover is uh, is coming off. Actually, uh, that's such a myth. There's almost there is tryptophan in turkey, but very little. Uh, about the same amount as in that bucket of of fried chicken or those McDonald's chicken nuggets that nobody says puts you to sleep. Sure, it's really the starches because you stuff yourself with starches, which require energy, and your body shuts down to digest them. So there you go, myth busted. Oh, another and another one bites the dust. <laughs> Man, you're hating on me already. <laughs> So I and we, we I trust you guys had uh, a a good Thanksgiving. We uh, just the family, the uh, my five and my mom, so the six of us, and uh, we were we were a little tight on the food. We only had enough food to feed about thirty people oh, uh, for only our 30? six. Um, but uh, we managed to to make it through. I only made two turkeys. Uh, I mean, one turkey instead of the usual two. Uh, but uh, we did manage to to make it through. Well, at least you made it through. That's all that matters, right, Mark? <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did buy some turkey legs with the intention of smoking them. We were going to have some fried, some smoked, but it just didn't happen. And so, that's fine. Yeah, it all works out right. one way or the other. Who are you? And what have you done with Mark? <laughs> <laughs> you know, Thanksgiving is at least in America. It's all about the meal. Um, there, mm -hmm. you can say it's about giving thanks. You know, it's there. We have all kinds of holidays that are about other things, but Thanksgiving is it's about one meal. And the leftovers. I think most people enjoy the leftovers more than the meal because when you eat the leftovers, the relatives are gone. That's right. <laughs> or if they never showed up at all, like in my case, my uh, I was supposed to have relatives for the week and things happened and I didn't have any relatives. So it was a exceptionally quiet Thanksgiving week for me, except for being on call. But, you know, yeah, it is what it is. You know, somebody's got to do it. A friend of mine works for a large big box retailer. I shall, I shall not name what. And, and of course, the, the day after Thanksgiving in the U.S. is what's known as Black Friday. And essentially, it's women be shopping time. Mm -hmm. uh, so he, he was on call for all the, the Black Friday madness. Uh, I, I think it's, there's, uh, you know, the, the, the tech guys 
who do all the online stuff, a Cyber Monday is sort of the, the uh, allegedly the big day when everybody goes back to work right. and then does their Christmas shopping online is the big thing. But I think that, that Black Friday is hardest on the tech guys and the security guards. Oh, I would guarantee that one. Yeah, oh, definitely. <laughs> and the traffic cops. Well, yeah, probably the traffic cops. You, you never see very many up here in southern Canada, so. So uh, we... Uh, we went to the movies, went to see the Peanuts movie. Yeah. Uh, I, I got to say, if you enjoyed uh, the old classic Peanuts movies, uh, you know, the Charlie Brown Christmas uh, and that sort of stuff, this is fine. This was an homage to those in so many ways. Good. And in fact, in a lot of ways, they missed the opportunity to make a better movie because they were so busy trying to recreate nostalgia, which is fine. It is what it is. But, you know, there were certain limitations that Schultz had to deal with in the 60s that we don't have anymore. Um, and they chose to keep some of those limitations. Um, but if you, if you got kids, if you have a heart, uh, it's a fine movie. So there's my a quick review of it. But the point is, we, we happened to turn down uh, a street where the mall is to get to the movie theater. And as soon as I made that Mistake. left turn, I went, oh, crap. What a terrible thing I just did. Because I could have gone up another exit and gone around the back way. It would have been fine. But once I committed to that left turn, I was there. Yep. And it was like 50 minutes to go a mile Ooh. because we had to get past the mall. And it was like three lanes of the four lanes were left turn lanes. They had actually converted them to left turn only lanes or right turn lanes really? to get to the mall. Wow. Just insane. Insane. Stop it, people. Yeah, it's not worth it anyway. Most of those Black Friday sales are just last year's marked up, mark, markdown. So, Wow. <laughs> So, uh, Seth, how about you? Anything interesting over your break? I hope you got a break. Uh, yeah, actually, you know, we uh, we had this uh, potluck on Tuesday. Oh, there was so much food. Oh, there was so much food. <laughs> so there was really no work happening in the office Tuesday afternoon because everybody partook of at least enough food for three people. And then uh, Wednesday, they let us go at one, and then I was off Thursday and Friday. So pretty cool. And free HBO preview weekend, so I watched some crappy movies that I didn't get to see when they were in the movie theater. Oh, okay. So, anything in particular? Um, not really. Um, I got to see The Kingsman finally. I I had wanted to see that. And I'm sorry. I'm it. sorry that you had to see that. You know, I thought it was I a decent it was movie. A really terrible movie. I thought it was decent. It was. It was a cheesy-ish kind of. You know, I like those kind of movies. It was not high quality, but it was enjoyable. See, I felt that it fell into that sort of the uncanny valley. It wasn't bad enough to be bad, but it wasn't good enough to be good. Right. It wasn't bad. No, but, <laughs> but see, like, I did not like the the Skyfall James Bond because that wasn't a James Bond movie. Uh, but it, that's why it made the most of any James Bond movie ever. But it was Kingsman was in that kind of you know you had the gadgets and and the stuff like that so it was like i say not high quality but it was enjoyable so rick in the chat room thinks it was hilarious so i am officially outnumbered three to <laughs> one um, we win i'm okay with that <laughs> <laughs> um i just i guess i was just expecting more lawrence uh no not lawrence Fishburne, uh the other one samuel jackson <laughs> samuel l jackson was great he uh, was he playing was awesome. the comedic bad guy yeah I just felt that there just wasn't enough to the rest of the movie. Yeah, it was kind of a, a thin movie, that's for sure. Yeah. I have a question about the Peanut movie, Mark. You had mentioned like the last TV special they did, how it wasn't really 
the peanuts, it was like a weird attitude. So you're saying that yeah. wasn't in this movie? No, yeah, this was totally. Uh, this one was done by his kids, by Charles Schultz's kids. Um, and if you if you don't know, if you if you've read anything, uh, he he uh, associated himself, uh, identified with Charlie Brown, and the, uh, he considered himself a loser who couldn't do anything right for his entire life. Uh, and this whole movie was essentially an affirmation that Charles Schultz was a good guy, hmm. and and by way of showing us that Charlie Brown is a good guy uh positive message uh enjoyable but just you know i i i i i want to come it sounds like i'm coming off that it's bad it wasn't bad it just could have been better had they had a different agenda their agenda was not to make a good movie their agenda was to pay do an homage to charles schultz so as it is great but in the world of you know pixar uh, and people who are making good movies, it just didn't. It's just not a good movie. It's a. It's an homage to Charles Schultz. And maybe if it makes enough money, they'll go back later and make a good movie with those characters. Well, we can hope that. Okay. You know, I mean, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing it with my kids because my daughter is a diehard Peanuts fan. Um, uh, in, I had in to- my estimation, it's a DV rental or Netflixer. Over a movie. There's nothing you have to see in the theaters. Sure. There's no great visuals. There's nothing that you have to experience on a 50 foot screen. But I know Unless for a fact that it'll be money. here for a week. So, yeah. Unless you and, wanted and to make money fine. so they make more of them. Yeah, there is that too. Um, um, it just, uh, for example, there were literally, not not figuratively, literally exact lines, the lines that you loved. Lucy saying, oh, I've been kissed by a dog. Get the disinfectant. Those exact vignettes were dropped into this movie. Um, and the only reason you would do that is to to tickle the nostalgia bone. It doesn't actually fit the, the thing. And, you know, and most of those things were just little vignettes, little two or three minute bits that were loosely pieced together around a storyline. That's what this was, two or three minute bits. 90 minutes of them hmm. um okay. and it just uh it you know got a little tedious to for a grown-up good to hear though good to know so that way when i go to walk yeah. in i know not to you know keep my my hat on too tight i just should let it sit back and enjoy the ride right just enjoy the nostalgia of it because that's all it is uh, a, a bit of a note, uh, I've talked many times about the Zcast app, formerly the uh, Element, oh, excuse me, the Everyday Linux app uh, that has now branched out and become an, a general purpose podcast player. Still not available in the Android store uh, because Android, uh, or, uh, because Google Play, rather, the play market is sort of hostile toward beta stuff. And I get that. I get why they wouldn't want beta stuff in their uh, their. Um, world but so it's hosted right now only on my site so go to elementop.com click any of the recent show notes there's the edl app link or the the zcast app link they all go to the same place um so whichever one you do it, it goes to the same thing and i just replace that every time there's an update to the apk major updates um i think i mentioned it before uh uh multi-speed playback is now a thing. Uh, so if those those of you who like to play at, at uh, uh, faster speeds, and as of just this week, you can now add any app. It's not restricted by app so uh, or any feed. So you can search the iTunes store, find your feeds, drop them in there, and then as they become comment-enabled, 
that feature will be turned on on the server side. So we're still working on how to to interact with the feed owners to make sure that they're comment enabled. But the general idea is that you would install the app and that maybe in a version or two down the line, there will be a uh, submit this for commenting button uh, that would send and uh, parse the uh, RSS feed for the owner of the uh, podcast, which you're required to do on iTunes, uh, send them an email, uh, chain mail or form letter rather saying, this is what it is. Reply here for yes, uh, ignore this or no. And then when they say yes, he flips the bit on the server side, which turns on commenting. So that's that's all of the future. But right now, the cool thing is it can be your full-on uh, podcast app. It doesn't yeah, because it's no longer restricted to just a few things. Uh, so really excited about the way it's going. Still in beta, still danger, may cause your teeth to fall out. But uh, check it out. Um, I'm using it now as my um, everyday podcast player. It's still got glitches, uh, but it's good enough that I have supplanted Beyond Pod, which you all know that I have loved for years. So uh, that that says something. Yeah, that is a pretty blaring and happy uh, recommendation there, Mark. That you gave it. That you gave everything up for it. So cool. Yeah. Of course, I have I have a vested interest in it. But the more people we have using on it, the more people we have uh, submitting bug reports, the better it's going to get. Yep. Uh, okay, that's all I had to say about that. I did want to, I, I know, I don't want to take this intro too long. We're already way long, but uh, I, I have, I, did I mention on this show that I got a new Moto 360 second gen watch? Um, no, I don't remember. Yeah, I don't think I did. I mentioned it on my, my the other show, Android App Addicts. Check that one out, podnuts.com. Um, I was walking along, minding my own business, and like a big goofy guy does, uh, accidentally slammed my wrist into a pillar at work and cracked the screen on my my first-gen Moto Aww. 360. Oh. Uh, but I had bought the Best Buy, if your kid flushes it down the toilet, uh, will replace it, no questions asked, warranty on it when I got, actually my wife did, when she got it for me for Christmas. So I went back um, and was just going to do a, a, a swap out. Uh, but they didn't have the new model, the old model in the store. I could have gone to another store that did. I could have waited. I could have sent it back. But I'm impatient, and my baby was damaged. So I went ahead and paid the $100 upgrade fee to get the new version. So essentially, I got the second gen, which it, the the initial cost difference right now, like if I if you go buy a first gen now, you can get one for like 150 But the second gens are running for 350 But since I'd initially paid 250 basically I paid the $100 to get a second gen watch. It's um, not bad. I just want to say all the problems I had with the first gen are solved in the second gen. All of them. Cool. So if any reservations you may have had, any bad press you may have had about the first one, and, and the, admittedly the first one was the a first generation. Um, Problem solved. Uh, a couple of the things that I always complained about was they're weird. The, the, the thing spends more time off than on the display and that was for battery and it had sort of an ambient it was called ambient but it really meant it's going to be on more often but it's not really on all the time uh and when you switch that on uh your already bad battery life went to terrible uh the the apple watch is having the same problem the apple watch spends more time off than it does on um with this next one, they nearly doubled the size of the battery. That problem is fixed, and they've added an always-on feature. So my phone, my watch now goes into a uh, um, 
I can't really show it in my setup here to a, a dim mode. So it is, it does dim the screen, which is good, <laughs> uh, really. Uh, and depending on the settings of your watch face, can actually display an entirely different watch face in its, when it's in that mode. But in that dim mode, it's on all the time. So my biggest complaint was I'm sitting in a meeting. I couldn't just glance down at my watch to see what time it was. I had to ring my wrist up and activate the accelerometer to see it. That problem was solved. Um, secondly, even with it in always-on mode, I'm getting 20-hour um, days with battery left over. Um, Yay. So it's pretty good. Problem solved. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if you had any reservations about it, uh, I'm I can't I don't I haven't have any experience with the Huawei or the the uh, or LG or Bain. I know those are things, but I can tell you that the Moto X, uh, the, excuse me, the Moto 360 second gen is the best. Um, uh, but, well, I can't say it's the best because I haven't tried the others. It it no longer has any reason for you not to buy it. It's still a pretty good review. I like it. Um, don't think I'll ever pay for it, but I like it. Yeah, and it's fine. If 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 you're the fifty dollar Timex for ten years guy like I was before, then three hundred and fifty four watch is ridiculous. But if you're you know going to buy a Citizen or a Seiko, you're going to spend three fifty easy. Um, this is a Citizen that you're going to replace every couple of years. So you just know that going in. Uh, if everything works perfectly, that battery is going to die in six years, maybe at the most at the outside, probably less, um, and you're going to have to get a new one. Uh, so. Just you know, make those intelligent choices. But if you want a smartwatch, I can now, without reservation, say that the Moto 360 is the one. Cool. Hmm. Uh, the flat tire bothers some people. That little edge of the flat part of the screen where they put the uh, light sensor. Um, it doesn't bother me, and in fact, I, I really appreciate the fact that it senses the light around me and adjusts the brightness of the screen. So when I'm in a movie theater or a darkened meeting room with uh, a projector on, uh, it automatically dims, and I don't have to tell it to. Uh, the other watches, as far as I know, that don't have the flat tire have that problem, so you're, you're constantly fiddling with it. Hmm. For me, that's a trade-off worth having. Or just not have a $350 watch. Yeah, <laughs> fine. <laughs> Um, all right. One last thing. I, uh, I had to do some laptop or some desktop repair this week, uh, because the, you know, every guy who's ever repaired a laptop says, take it out once a year, twice a year at the most, uh, blow it out with, get the dust bunnies out because dust is the number one killer of PCs in the world. Well, my machine finally was getting to the point where it would run for a couple of minutes and shut down classic overheat symptoms. I pulled it out. It was the second dirtiest machine I've ever seen in my life. The, the, uh, CPU fan was so caked with, uh, dirt that I couldn't get it clean. I'm just going to buy a new one <laughs> short of taking it out and dunking it in some sort of liquid solution it was not going to come clean no amount of blowing or sucking or anything was going to fix that uh, but you know coolers are eight dollars amazon prime rocks so another one will be here in a couple of days um, but uh, unfortunately the dirtiest one i'd ever seen was also one of mine uh, <laughs> so don't do as i do say not as i do uh, but you chris had a similar experience but only with a laptop yeah right? i uh uh, I don't remember if everyone, if I told everybody or not, but when I took my new job, I had to close the home business. But I had a friend of mine who said, "Oh God, please, 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 can you help me? My laptop is acting like a, like a, it, it won't charge anymore." Blah blah blah. So I'm like, "All right, yeah, I'll take care of it. I'll pop it open and see what I can do." I forgot how bad I hate taking apart laptops. They are disgusting. 
it, you know, this is a guy who doesn't eat over his laptop or nothing, but it was still the most disgusting, well, not the most disgusting, but one of the most disgusting laptops I've ever pulled <laughs> apart. Um, animal hair, dander, and everything else, human dander and everything else all over the thing. Oh, just, just thinking about it makes And you me- can be a clean freak, freak and they still end up looking. Oh, yeah. Good. I know. Uh, that, but that's my point. Laptops are horrible. Yeah. <laughs> Make sure that if you are at least some tech, tech savvy person when it comes to your laptop, take them outside and dust them. Take it, you know, just do it. It, it, it's disgusting not to. Uh, no matter how so, clean you are, it's always going to be That's gross. a little end of year advice. Uh, you're going to have some time coming up over the holidays. Take, uh, you know, some time and maintain your machines. Don't be like me and, and maintain your machines. Uh, you know, a can of air, take it outside because it's going to be terrible. Um, yeah, I know it sucks crawling under the desk and reaching around and disconnecting all this stuff. That's why you haven't done it, but just do it. And Chris, actually, uh, I had never heard this advice, but it's a good one. When you change your smoke alarm batteries, clean your PCs. Yep. It makes it simple makes to remember. Um, and then it's usually, at least up in my area, um, the weather changes so drastically that, uh, you never want to take it outside when it's so, when it's as cold, you know, that you could freeze, you know, if you hock a loogie. So, you know, I, I always do it when I do the batteries because the simple fact that it's still fairly nice out. Both w- at- time change is another good thing. That's yeah. twice a year mm-hmm. that you'll do it. And then, yeah. you- go ahead. I was gonna say, guys, here's what you do. Whenever you're doing house cleaning day, and the wife or girlfriend <laughs> is like doing all of the, you're like, okay, I will clean the computer. So you take oh, them good. out to the garage and you blow them out, and you know that could take a couple of hours to do it right, especially <laughs> if you've got a laptop. So you're cleaning the, you're cleaning the computer, preventative maintenance to keep it going longer and to keep that smooth experience, and then your wife is cleaning the house. So, but y'all are splitting the work uh amicably i like it you could even then add in uh the refrigerator coils and the tv you could take them out down and dust them out if you really wanted to avoid house cleaning work because i know that was one of the things that my dad would do religiously would he would clean the free refrigerator coils just one of the things he started doing and in my mom still has the refrigerator that we bought when i was a little one so that's actually kind of a downside like the tv if you maintain it you don't have an excuse to upgrade you know true true <laughs> all right let's get on some some listener feedback we just got one this week andy is yet another in the long line of firefox haters oh. among us he says in your last episode you mentioned that you have had no issues with firefox are you sure? I'm a long-time Firefox user since the beginning. I run Linux Mint 17 and do regular updates to all packages. A couple of months ago, I noticed a lag. Page would load fine, but would be three or four seconds before I could scroll. Videos also seemed to take longer to start playing. I ran a speed test on my connection and was only getting 6 to 7 megabits on my 15 megabit DSL. I tried the same test on my phone via Wi-Fi and got the full 15. I tried the same test on my Linux machine using Chrome and got 15. Firefox wouldn't uh, read over 7 meg even with all the extensions turned off. I only use LastPass and AdBlock anyway. I don't know what the issue is, but for now, I've had to resort to using Chrome. Hmm. Andy, I'm not going to dispute what you have to say, but again, that's not my experience. The, or, nor mine. Uh, I've pretty much gotten... I've gotten off my uh, Chrome kick or Chrome addiction uh, and moved back to Firefox. And, you know, the only reason I 
keep Chrome installed on my computer is for the Hangout because I don't like the way Firefox handles Hangouts. But that'll be going away soon as I find a better solution for Hangouts in Firefox. I generally do Google stuff in Chrome, everything else in Firefox. So my Gmail, uh, my Google Docs, uh, those sort of things open in Chrome. Uh, everything else opens in Firefox. And uh, I, I, I stand by it. Uh, uh, Linux Mint 17, same thing, uh, running Firefox. Um, I've got the 64-bit. I assume you do too. Um, I, I just, Firefox is fine. I have, I, you know, I don't notice several seconds. Maybe I'm just slower. Maybe I don't need to jump to a page and scroll immediately. Maybe the, the reason is, is our habits more than our technology. But uh, could be. just, I don't have that issue. <clears throat> the other thing that could be um, in there, is he, you know, if he, he only says he only has two add-ons, but what about themes? You know, if there's an animated theme, that could be slowing your, the Firefox browser down a lot, too. Yeah, it's possible. I, I have don't think I've ever installed a Firefox theme. Well, actually, I did where I used to work. I put a work-generated theme with our colors and stuff, but me personally, yeah, <laughs> just not something I care about. I just don't like the gray. All right, so let's... <laughs> Let me take an opportunity to tell you about some of our fine sponsors, specifically the LinuxAcademy.com. They will take you from being some uh, a person who knows some stuff about some stuff to a person who has the credentials and the skills to be uh, uh, Linux uh, certified. Uh, they do this by the way of step-by-step -step video courses uh, designed for beginners. That's the nice thing about it. You don't have to be a guru to get there. They're, they're, they're supposed to take you to, be, uh, to the point of being a, a guru. And, and they have thousands uh, not thousands, hundreds at least of courses now of, of different videos and everything's broken down in you know uh, college syllabus sort of style. There's a course, there's all of the courses are then in a module. So think of a module as like a track. I want to head this way. I want to be LPIC uh, certified. And then there are courses within that module. And then there are classes within that module. Uh, with that, with or lessons within that course, uh, and all of those things are can be tracked by their online system. They have this great lesson plan thing that will generate for you. You tell them when you're available, what you want to do. You set your goals, and they uh, will help you meet them, uh, keeping you on track. Um, it's just, it's really uh, high quality stuff certified by independent third parties as being high quality. So you don't have to just take my word for it. Uh, their great lab platform, which I think is really the killer app of this uh, thing, is that they. Uh, um, they allow you to run up to four different virtual machines in Amazon's infrastructure, so they're lightning fast and highly uh, reliable. Uh, you can run four of them simultaneously. Uh, they can communicate with each other and with the real world, so you can really have a safe place to explore and play. And you get all this for as as much as, I don't even want to say as little as, as much as $29 a month, because that's their top price. $29 a month for all that sort of stuff you added. Now, once you go in, like so many other things, there's, there's uh, in-app purchases. There are certain courses, certain labs, certain things like that that you could pay extra for. But all the basic, all-you-can-eat buffet of learning uh, is $29 a month. But like anything else, if you buy more, you pay less. If you buy three months, a quarter, uh, that's $69 for that. Or if you buy annually, it's $229, which is less than $19 a month. 20 bucks a month for uh, something that could potentially change your life, I don't think that's too much to ask. But, you know, don't take my word for it. Uh, don't don't go buy a, a point down $200 for a year because Mark said so. Go try it out. Uh, spend $29. Risk that. Gamble that much. It's it's half the cost of a of a triple A video game, so you know you're 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 okay. 
you can probably afford it. Uh, and spend a month around uh, uh, on it, looking around, see what you think. If you if you don't like it, walk away. No harm, no foul. But I'm pretty sure you are going to like it. So check them out and uh, stick around. And and once you're ready, commit to that annual uh, uh, code uh, or annual fee and save save a chunk of money. There's you know uh, my first show on the on the, the web was called the Tightwad Tech. I'm all about saving you money. And the way to do that is to buy in bulk. Linuxacademy.com. Use the code Everyday Linux when you get there. And everything I just said about pricing is bunk because you get special pricing when you use that. And hint, it's lower. So check it out. Uh, Linuxacademy.com. Use the code Everyday Linux. Let them know we sent you. And with that, we have fun. <laughs> Uh, so now let's move on to our our topic, and uh, this is uh, first. Let's just begin it. The, begin the show. Let's let's uh, dash some illusions right here uh, up the off the bat. Tang was not invented by or for NASA, despite what you may think. Um, it just it just wasn't. General Foods had already developed it in 1957. Had been on the supermarket shelves since 1959. Um, people were were using it, not very much. Uh, but in uh, you know it's it's a great it's a freeze dried liquid right just add water mm-hmm. uh, so when uh, Glenn uh, John Glenn uh, went uh, went into space and for the first time because the first several trips into space weren't long enough that you need to eat something and they weren't even sure that you would be able to uh, so you know this was all virgin territory we didn't know anything so they figured can a guy swallow in zero g we didn't know. So they sent him up there with some tang, and it became known as the food of astronauts. And kids <laughs> all around have been drinking it because of that. Not because of the flavor, mind you, but because the astronauts do. Well, we might as well. If, the ast- if it's good enough for the astronauts, it's good enough for you. At least that's what my family would say. Yeah, when I found this out, I was just ready to, to quit because <laughs> I was like, it's, you get you get tang because of space, and then whenever I came around, I was like, "Oh man, I'm done." <laughs> show y'all y'all take the rest of the show. But you know, the, the, at least you can fall back on the fact and know that NASA invented Velcro, except that they didn't. No, oh, not another uh, one. You're killing me. <laughs> uh, Dupont invented. Uh, no, that was uh, the other. Velcro was uh, was used uh, during the Apollo missions early on, uh, but it was actually a Swiss invention from the 1940s. It was invented by a botanist wow. who was studying uh, birds uh, in nature and noticed that that the birds had the, a certain uh, hook shape and that they would uh, attach to anything with uh, anything vaguely resembling a loop. Hence, it's known in the generic circles as hook and loop. Mm-hmm. But in a weightless environment where you can't just lay your pen down on the desk and expect it to stay there, Velcro was all over the place. Uh, and in fact, it was considered a uh, serious contributor to the demise of Apollo 1 that blew up uh, in testing. Huh. Not blew up, but burned up. Uh, because Velcro is flammable, and there was a lot of it all over the place. I did not know that one. That's a good one. But at least we can rest assured knowing that NASA invented Teflon, right? I think so. No. No. DuPont invented Teflon all the way back in 1938, uh, but the space agency used it on their heat shields and their spacesuits and their cargo liners and all that sort of stuff, and it became associated with NASA, but not invented because of NASA. <laughs> Man, I found the same thing. What was interesting when we started this whole process and we were looking up things for this show, it's amazing how much stuff is attributed to NASA but actually isn't. Yeah. it's. I guess it's the other. It's good to have. That's the reverse problem, right? You get credit for doing stuff you didn't do as opposed to get blamed for doing stuff you didn't do. Um 
But well, this is such a murky area that NASA actually keeps their own list at spinoff.nasa.gov, where they tell you the things that they either directly invented or indirectly invented. Yeah, and you know, and it's a lot like um, they didn't invent them, but they made them famous to the American public in much the same way that Apple did not invent the MP3 player, um, you know, but they took it and they developed it and made it famous. So, um, yeah, it was just one of those things. So, you know, they didn't invent it, but they they helped introduce it to us. Ooh, look at that. We want that because the the spaceman had it. <laughs> yes. So let's go straight to NASA's website and see what they did invent. They invented LEDs, except that they didn't. They made them better. LEDs, the little lights that are everywhere. Right. If you've ever taken a picture with a flash on a smartphone, there was an LED there. And by the way, the guy that made the white LED possible won the Nobel Prize for Science a few years ago because that was some serious uh, physics to make white LEDs. And, you know, that, that surprised me when, when I, I saw that one, too. And I was like, wow, um, well, why would white light be so hard to make? But yeah, when I continued reading and went, oh, yeah. That's tough. <laughs> yeah, because light is a generating light is an additive process mm-hmm. rather than a subtractive process, and it's difficult to add because you tend to get black when you add. But uh, anyway, back to NASA. Uh, NASA made red, uh, per- particularly the, the the red LEDs, uh, a lot uh, more powerful, a lot more intense, and actually, uh, uh, you can now go have toenail fungus treated using LEDs. You can have arthritis treated using LEDs. They're they're essentially um, low powered lasers these days. Uh, a new uh, a device that they helped uh, uh, with uh, quantum devices incorporated called the Warp Ten. Uh, so you are you have can less have less toenail fungus thanks to space um, exploration. Ew. <laughs> but yay. <laughs> Toenail fungus, not my idea of a good topic. <laughs> if you've ever uh, checked your baby's temperature without the aid of an infrared ear thermometer, you know how what a godsend the infrared ear yes. thermometers are. Because the only other way to do it with a kid is to six something up the butt. Plain and simple. Because you can't get them to hold something under their tongue for two minutes. Exactly. Um, That's true. But. But due to NASA's, actually, their, uh, um, uh, I just blanked on what it was. It was something I just read about very recently. Their, their project to, uh, to uh, detect space uh, collisions of, of pulsars uh, needed uh, infrared sensors. And so their, their development of that goes directly into their, uh, the infrared all the way back in 1991. Was when they when they directly worked with the Diatech Corporation. Cool, fun stuff. Uh, microwaves, we all know that, right? No, I knew they they didn't do that one. Darn it! So, <laughs> but that's from the Air Force. Yeah, and that came about as a result of World War II uh, developing radar. And the guy noticed when he walked by the radar um, thing that the chocolate bar in his pocket would melt. And that's why the original microwaves were called radar ranges. So, yeah, that's a good tidbit. Yeah, sorry, that's because I'm I'm like a, that's trivia. So I know it because (laughs) it's trivial. All right, so guys, that's I, I just picked a couple of there. Uh, you pick some that you. Uh, but one of my favorite. Before I do that, I just invited you and then shut you down. Um, 
NASA has been working for years uh, since the uh, early space uh, stations and the space shuttles with uh, developing robotic arms that can manipulate stuff in space. Well, when you've developed a robotic arm, why not stick it on somebody who doesn't have an arm? And so, yes, uh, many artificial limbs directly use NASA's technology, just miniaturized. Cool. That was one of my favorites. So what did you guys have? Uh, go ahead, Chris. <laughs> Meaning, I wasn't ready. No, no, I, I have a couple. <laughs> I, I'll go, Chris, if you're not ready. Um, they found that um, through studying algae that there's um, uh, chemicals in algae, amino acids that help and are beneficial to the human body. So they um, they enriched baby food or enriched baby food that has additional amino acids came about as a result of NASA's. Um, you know, um, sponsored research to explore the possibility of algae as a recycling agent for long duration space travel. I thought that was super cool whenever, uh, I came across that. Yeah. Uh, another cool thing is, uh, some of the, uh, de-icing stuff that we use on commercial airliners, uh, was invented because NASA handles really cold stuff. And sometimes they need to de-ice things that used to hold really cold stuff. And uh, speaking of really cold stuff, the freeze-drying food, um, they were looking at it as a way to uh, store food for the Apollo mission, and they realized that if they could freeze-dry it, it would still retain like 98% of its nutrition, but it only weighs 20% as much as it did before. Because so, water's heavy. Yeah. And, we're going. and because of they're able to recycle the water and purify it and stuff. You don't need as much water for all this food because you're going to reuse it over and over again. Um, and, uh, so freeze drying food, we can thank NASA for that. Very cool. And, uh, <clears throat> if you've ever been to an, a space center, you have the opportunity to try some freeze dried stuff. It all tastes pretty bad. Uh, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> you don't go into space for the cuisine. Well, it's a way to store food. I mean, if you freeze dry it, then you really don't need specialized storage conditions for it. Right. So you can keep it. You don't need a freezer because you've already freeze dried it. So you can store that food in a much smaller place. And, you know, if things if things get bad, you can always boil water at the house right. to remove things and then rehydrate your food that way. And speaking of water, another thing is... They can't, they, um, I don't think you could say they invented water purification, but they darn sure did a great job in perfecting it and making it, um, better and making, being able to remove more stuff out of the water. And again, it goes back because water's heavy and imagine having to take water to drink and everything. Whereas if you can just keep recycling it, that's pretty cool. And the modern uh, systems that they use, in the, in the early uh, solid rocket systems, uh, that was a, a real issue. You had to get enough water up there. You had to carry it with you. You had to recycle it. The modern liquid rocket systems burn with a combination of hydrogen and oxygen, and water is actually a byproduct. They end up dumping water because they have too much of it. So it's, it's one of those things where the, the pendulum has, has swung all the way back in the other direction. Yep. <laughs> Some of the other thing that's kind of cool is the structural analysis that they had to in, that they had to improve in order for us to have, you know, spaceships and, and this, it's just interesting to see all the different things that they've improved there. Yep. Um, if you love a firefighter, 
he probably has uh, come uh, gone into a fire and come out directly due to NASA. Uh, if you if you've seen a lot of uh, a guy a modern firefighter in their full gear, they look a lot like astronauts, and there's a reason for that. They're using a lot of uh, you know the hostile environments that astronauts have to go into are both uh, very hot and very cold, and um, uh, the the way to keep heat. On either side, whether you're trying to keep somebody warm or keep somebody cold, is the same way. You want to keep heat from penetrating um, a, a device or a, an article of clothing, and so and also some of the rebreathers that uh, that firefighters use now. Uh, NASA has directly worked with uh, various organizations to to uh, to make firefighters safer, going all the way back to 1976. Wow! If you if you sleep on a temper foam bed or a pillow, I have a I have a memory foam. Pillow uh, that was directly that NASA invented that. That's one that you can give credit for uh, NASA inventing. Working with um, uh, the Ames Research Center, developed a foam that uh, that could remember its position, no matter how deformed it got. It would always go back to its original position. And when you're pulling 12 G's on liftoff, uh, you need a cushion that can absorb all of that, but also that uh, will go back to its normal shape so that you can reuse it the next time. So memory foam. NASA circa 2005 actually going uh, began all the way back in 1976. Crazy. Hmm. That is nuts. Yeah. And then what about the uh, the dustbusters? Yes, that's a good one. Go ahead and talk about that, Chris. We seem to have lost Chris. So while he comes back, I will tell you that uh, they needed lightweight, powerful motors that didn't use much energy for their drill bits uh, back in 1980 or so. And uh, Black & Decker said, hey, I've got another use for those things that use low power, lightweight. Let's put it in a a handheld vacuum. So that Dustbuster literally came directly from the space program. Okay. Um, Powdered lubricants. You know, we don't think about that because, you know, we drive a car and it has oil and stuff. But when you're dealing with the extreme temperatures in space, even those lubricants would freeze. So they um, developed and refined powdered lubricants to keep gears and stuff moving in the frozen um, lack of atmosphere or super thin atmosphere in space. Yeah, and uh, you can't get much more American than the Statue of Liberty, and NASA indirectly saved Lady Liberty uh, by developing their anti-corrosion things. Again, they deal with they deal with some pretty nasty stuff, and they need to hold the nasty stuff in containers, uh, and so they they had to find ways to combat corrosion. And uh, one of the chemicals that they used to create um, the uh, the anti-corrosion. Uh, Con, uh, coatings uh, was used on the in the restoration of Lady Liberty uh, back in the uh, 80s, I believe it was. I've lost where it was. But uh, she is is now coated with NASA goop. <laughs> Nothing better, better than NASA goop to keep your Statue of Liberty better. <laughs> uh, it says that it's a, it's a zinc silicate which readily bonds with steel, dries within 30 minutes to a hard ceramic-like finish. And it, uh, it's used on uh, bridges and pipelines and oil rigs and dock equipment and Lady Liberty. And, and including uh, U.S. Army tanks because they, they work in, uh, you know, deserts. And deserts right. are not really friendly places for metals. Right. What else we got, guys? Well, I have the last link. I don't know if you guys – I'm sure you guys – have seen this one but it's not quite nasa but it's kind of a space thing um i didn't realize that we share the goldilocks zone with a orbital um asteroid 
Yes. So something could theoretically live on that. It's not big enough to have atmosphere. That's sort of a problem. Right, but it's in the Goldilocks zone. It sits in the same orbit as we do as far as uh, you know, distance from the sun. So then that would make it, we might not have atmosphere, but we could like dome it or hollow it out and we could like live in it. Yep. So, right. yay. So uh, there was, I can't remember the name of it. It's something like the rare earth hypothesis, uh, something to that effect that says that in order for life to, earth-like life to exist, you need certain things. You need, for example, uh, the uh, um, an asteroid belt, the Kuiper belt, uh, to shield most asteroids from ever getting to you. You need to be in that Goldilocks zone where the temperature is just right so that water is liquid. And that's actually pretty rare in our exploration of space. Uh, you need a giant moon that can uh, absorb most impacts but without being so big that it impacts or so small that it spins off. So all of these things need to happen to have Earth-like um, life on a planet. And it seems rare until you factor in the fact that we have observed uh, billions of different uh, sun-like stars. And if even you know a 10% of those have one Earth-like planet, um, then the, the odds of life being there uh, mathematically grow pretty consistently, but not so much that it's not considered still pretty rare. Yeah. And that's, that's what that Goldilocks zone is about. It's not too hot. It's not too cold. It's just, it's just right. Anything else you guys wanted to hit? We, we've got tons of links uh, from all sorts of different stuff, but uh, any, any highlights you wanted to hit? I want to hit this last one. Uh, but before we do that, uh, did we, did we miss anything? I think we got the rest of them pretty well. Yeah. Um, well, no, I mean, one thing, you know, the um, NASA gets a budget of billions of dollars from the federal government. And one of the neat ways they contribute back is when, you know, they were trying to figure out how can we feed an astronaut in a sealed capsule in weightless conditions and not do crumbs and make sure the food doesn't spoil. So they came up with a uh, hazard analysis and critical control point concept that... um Pillsbury actually uses to help make sure the food they produce is safe and free of like, you know, killer bacteria from space or just from around the world. So the the system, they didn't really invent processes, but they came up with a process to ensure that the food for the astronauts is good. Uh, and Pillsbury said, you know, that's a great process and it would be good just so we can make sure the food that we sell is safer. Yeah, yeah. cool. And along the cooking line, something that's cool but not really practical is they figured out a way to combine a refrigerator and an oven so that you can stick your turkey in the refrigerator over uh, the night before Thanksgiving and use a timer to turn it from a refrigerator to an oven so that it cooks for you so that you don't have to get up at 4 <laughs> o'clock in the morning and throw that 20-pound bird in. Wow. That's kind of cool. I want one. <laughs> yeah, they're just super expensive. But right. they exist. Uh, since 2005, a company called Embed Web Technology uh, invented the device. Hmm. So uh, I, I remember reading an article about that back probably around 2005, 2006. It was one of those, you know, Discovery Channel, Future Kitchen kind of thing. And that was a thing. Um, and there are, there are like portable coolers now that are both warmers and coolers that to plug into your yep. cigarette lighter. So the technology has been miniaturized, but this used advanced sensor, sensors and remote control devices. It was really one of the first Internet of Things devices. Interesting. 
Now, uh, space exploration costs a lot of money, but we get a lot of benefit from it. The, every one of us listening to this podcast has a cell phone. There's a good chance you're listening to it on a cell phone. Mm-hmm. Those cellular networks came directly from the need to reliably communicate across vast distances, and they are connected by way of satellites, big machines up in space. They wouldn't be there were it not for space exploration. So I'm not saying that we need to spend lots of government money on space exploration, but I am saying that space exploration is important and needs must go on. Yep. But if I, all of that wasn't... Oh, go ahead, Seth. I was going to say, I think it would be cool for us to actually put a person on a planet and bring them back. I, I just think that would be cool. Well, you know, we haven't done it on a planet. We've done it on a moon. Once. And that worked out pretty well. <laughs> Before I was born. It'd yeah. be cool to put somebody up there again. I think we should at least revisit it. Yeah, the thing is, what, what we got was a bunch of rocks. Yeah. And the American public, all they saw was billion-dollar rocks. They didn't see refrigerator ovens and powdered lubricants and Velcro. They saw I I would rocks. like us, even if it's going to be to the moon... To put somebody on the moon and then have a second mission to go pick that person up. So Let them hang out there for a while yeah. instead of a return vehicle. Yeah. That'd be kind of neat. It'd be interesting yeah. to see what happens. If we're going to colonize anything, like Mars or, or anything, we're going to have to do that. We're going to have to drop people yep. off and have them survive for a while on their own. Well, and plus the moon would make a great staging base because its right. atmosphere. And its gravity is less, so it would take less power to get off the moon. One of the early plans in the in the the space race of the seventies, uh, or the sixties rather, was to throw a guy up there with no plan to bring him back, and hope that he could survive long enough that we could figure out how to get him back. Oh. And every every month or so, we would throw supplies up there, food and oxygen. And he would just stay there as long as it took for us to figure out how to get him back. The, that way we could beat the Russians to the moon that much quicker. Hmm. That's an interesting um, thought there. It's a good idea if you're an engineer because uh, engineers see ones and zeros. But uh, uh, And there, there probably would have been no shortage of volunteers. I mean, there are people right now who are volunteering for one-way trips to Mars just for the trip to get there. The problem with getting to Mars is right now we couldn't get you there without cancer. Because we don't have good radiation shielding, right? Yep. There's no radar way, no radar way, ways that would help you out there. Yeah. So uh, there, you know, one good way to protect people from um, radiation is to surround them by a liquid atmosphere. Yeah. What that all the thing we just talked about with carrying water into space—that's hard. <laughs> uh, so you know, it's it's one of those things uh, that we've got to figure out, and uh, we live in a fairly a uh, radiation um, dense environment called the Van Allen Belt. In fact, when you when you go from the Earth to the Moon, you pass through uh, chunks of the Van Allen Belt, depending on the different times of the orbit. Uh, so you know it's it's there, and you got to deal with it. And in fact, people who are up in space now are dealing with it. But we don't leave people there for five six years, which is what it would take at at current abilities to get people to Mars. And the the way the Mars orbits work out, you wouldn't be passing through it. You'd be stuck in it or passing through it multiple times. Hmm. Somebody is right now writing an email or uh, uh, <laughs> typing into the Zcast app telling me how wrong I am. Bring That's it on. That's all right. Uh, I never said I was a scientist. Send it. I'm a, I'm a science enthusiast. <laughs>
But if all of these other things don't in, encourage you and tell you that NASA is is worth uh, your time and your money, NASA has been helping geeks get dates since 1997. Yep, that's right. The artificially intelligent computer software that NASA developed in 1997 to control the shuttle's rocket engines has been used in online dating services since 2000. That's it would wow. And what happened was this engineer came up with this AI to get a date and then had to figure out some way to justify it. So they thought, oh, you know, this is kind of similar. So that's probably what really happened. If we could go behind the news. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what was the the movie Sneakers yep. with uh, uh, Robert Redford? The, the, the line in that that makes the villain... Uh, realize that it's all a, a rig is that a computer would never put that guy with that girl together. Yep. Um, Wasn't that Ben Kingsley that said that? Yes. Yes. Wow. But great, great movie. movie. Go check it out. Yes. Ben Kingsley at his best. Uh, Robert Redford at his best. Um, just Dan, really. Dan Aykroyd was great in that. Everybody yes. was great in that movie. Go watch it. Yeah. Sneakers. Yep. Uh, too many secrets. Sea Tech Astronomy. Go check yeah, it sneakers out. is one of my all-time favorite guilty pleasure movies because no one's ever heard of it yeah it's it doesn't survive time well i mean you look at anything that deals with technology doesn't survive time well the the best way to make sure a movie uh doesn't survive the test of time is to show a computer or a machine in it you know you look at uh the matrix now right and it's so 1999 um you you know you look at i was watching uh, an old episode of macgyver and there was this giant television wrapped uh, in a plastic casing with a typewriter next to it. Um, and my kid said, Daddy, what's that? <laughs> that's a computer. What? Yes, that's a computer. No, it isn't. Yes, honey, that's a computer. What's fun is if you go back and watch the, even the horrible movies for uh, technology, though, going on way off on a tangent, The Net. Oh, yes. Sandra Sandra Bullock. Bullock. Yep. yes. Once she said the word modem, I was over. You know, you don't call it a model. <laughs> no, I was done. But there, but that's another one that never, never will stand the test of time. Or swordfish. Both of those are great fun. A logic bomb. Yay! Through the trapdoor. <laughs> and of course, modem actually makes more sense because it's a contraction of modulator demodulator. Mm -hmm. But nobody actually calls it a modem except Sandra Bullock in the. <laughs> you know, but I would change. I would say modem just for her because she's worth the change. Well. <laughs> Uh, that's a woman who has maintained her appeal uh, wa far longer than many women do. Yes. Yep. All right. So let's look at some recent tech news. Raspberry Pi, um, the new five-dollar uh, processor, super cool. Uh, what, what's it called? I, I'm blanking on what it's called. The Pi, Pi Zero. Zero. Yeah. No, I came across this. They they had they they made twenty thousand. I don't know why they make these tiny numbers. Um, it's basically the specs of the first generation pie but with a faster processor and it's a single board it's smaller it's like about half the size of a credit card and it sells for four pounds or five bucks and it sold out in less than 24 hours so if you can find you know some stores sell uh british magazines like i know fries does a lot um if you could find the magpie they had um they had a raspberry Pi on them um or you can go to eBay and pay some troll a lot of money, or you can just wait because they're going to be making more. But five bucks and it sold out in less than twenty four hours. 
So like the original Raspberry Pi, you all you get is the board, right? You, it doesn't have any storage, doesn't have any power, doesn't have any display. So you can't get a computer for $5, but you can get a computer for like $35 once you put it all together. Right. Uh, so a phone charger and an SD card and whatever old TV you have laying around and a keyboard and boom, you're done. There you um, go. Super exciting because this this just brings the 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 tinkerer market. I mean, we've talked about uh, before how um, refrigerators are now smarter than computers used to be. Well, now at five dollars a board, there's no reason not to put this in your refrigerator. Yeah, no kidding, right? And it's a full. It's it's got a it's got a, a TCP/IP stack. It's got everything you need. It's got um, you know everything you could need in a, a fully functional ARM processor. For five dollars, and if they're selling it for five dollars at a profit, right? So you could probably buy those in bulk if you're bought in the the tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands down to a couple of bucks. Yeah, that would um, be some pretty and, cool and tech that you could put into just about everything. Yeah, your self lacing sneakers that they promised us in Back to the Future too could actually be pre- Raspberry Pi powered. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I'll just slap my pie or my banana and have it auto tie my shoes. <laughs> cool stuff exciting sort of stuff that's that's going on out there uh and let me tell you something else i'm excited about that's our friends over at digital ocean uh i'm excited about them because they provide you good stuff at a low price and those are the sort of things i get excited about virtual server hosting uh running on kvm on super high powered machines and kvm is a big deal because um there are lots of virtualizers out there but kvm was one of the first ones to really focus on performance and they got it right and they're linux based and guess what this show has the word linux in the title so we kind of pretend to care about it a little bit um Their servers are all running on hex core processors uh, with dedicated ECC RAM and SSD storage. All that is geek speak for their fast, meaning you can spin up a new server, a droplet, a virtual machine uh, in less than a minute. Um, they've all got gigabit NICs uh, built in. They've got private networking available. And for $5 a month, $5 a month. You can get a virtual server with uh, 512 megs of RAM, a single core processor, 20 gigs of SSD space, and a terabyte, a terabyte of transfer for five bucks a month. Um, that's that's actually kind of a big deal. Uh, uh, Chris pays way more than five dollars a month for way less than a terabyte of transfer uh, yeah, to his house. Definitely. So that's their their basic five dollar one, and that's fine for for a basic blog, for a, a website, for you know uh, the your bridge club uh, wants to run a website, your your dog walking service. Uh, five dollars a month will get you set up for very basic needs. If you need to move up into something that you might actually want to to put some horsepower behind, the the price really goes up to. $10. There you get a gig of RAM and a single core processor, 30 gigs of storage, and two terabytes of transferred. These prices are, I feel like I'm, uh, you know, the the Mad Max's uh, used car emporium. <laughs> these, these prices won't last long. Really, $10 a month for your own server, not shared hosting, your own server. It's a virtual server. But it's yours. You can do whatever you want to on it. You don't have to beg some guy to edit the php.ini file for you. If you want to stick something on it, you want to put a GUI on your server, go for it. I wouldn't. You can do it because it's yours. Um, and they they go on all the way up. If you if you want to do, do something way more professional, they go up to you can spend $360 a month for a big, beefy uh, a piece of iron. Uh, but 
for your basic guy uh, running your basic blog, uh, the 5 or $10 a month thing is going to be fine. And it's not even going to cost you that because if you use the code Everyday Linux when you sign up, they're going to give you $10 of credit. So let me do some quick math there. $10 of credit, $5 a month. I'm pretty sure that's two months free. You can check this out. You can kick the tires. You can do whatever you want. You can bang on it. You can own your own server. You can be a server guy. Take the knowledge that the LinuxAcademy.com gave you and, and test it out here and build your own server free for two months by using the code Everyday Linux when you sign up. We're excited about them. Um, I'm glad that they chose to sponsor us um, because they're, they're good people. They do good stuff, and they're cheap. All of those things I like. DigitalOcean.com. Use the code Everyday Linux when you sign up. There you go. Hey, kid, you want a server? <laughs> that would be a great commercial would you like to buy an e um, so uh, next up the software conserv- freedom conservancy needs your help yeah they started a fundraiser um, they kicked it off this week um, you know they thought everybody's spending money on Black Friday maybe we can spend money to support open software um, and you know basically they're a lot like the um, EFF it's just another group that's kind of doing the same thing they and because they don't you know they're not making software they're not selling software I think you can buy some t-shirts if you want it um, you need to they rely on donations and supports so you know a lot like a public radio would and so they do things like um you know, they, um, if you heard about that lawsuit brought against VMware because they were using the GPL but not giving back. So they were involved in that. And one thing they do is they made 172 contractor payments to developers writing free and open source software. And this included like internships and contract software development work. So people who write free and open source software, this is one way that they can kind of get paid. They take and they support specific projects. Um, the more money they have, the more projects they can support kind of thing. So, uh, Mark, we need to put this on our list because I think this would be a cool thing to do like a one month, uh, give to them so anyway the um software freedom conservator conservancy is looking for cash to support free and open source software and if you would like to support free and open source software the link will be in the show notes and you can see if it's something you would be interested in just did sweet that is our november um donation for everyday linux so you helped me contribute to this money that doesn't uh, to this uh, organization that doesn't mean you're done you still need to go do your own but you just helped yeah out. and it looks like um at least at the time of recording they, they have a, a anonymous backer who's doing matching so i don't know when it doesn't say what date the f- it says before next friday but it doesn't say an actual date but it'd be interesting to see how much that match how much we can make that match donor donate in yeah, that wasn't there before. So that's kind of a recent development. All right. And so you know, I've I've been saying for a long time that we need people like this. We need programmers got to eat, right? And they're not going to work on free software if they can't uh, get paid for it, if they can't support their family on it. So uh, we need people that do that. And the Software Freedom Conser- Conservancy is doing that very thing. And more power to you. That's great. Um. You know what's not great? I, I don't know how to... I was just trying to come up with something. DDWRT is sometimes not Linuxy enough. <laughs> yes. So 
<laughs> uh, Linuxy, that's my word. I came up with that. Um, so there is a Kickstarter program to make a, uh, a Linux base and they're basing it on open WRT and have just a full freaking blown router, um, called the Taurus Omnia. Um, 1.6 gigahertz dual core ARM processor, a gigabyte of DDR3 RAM, four gigs of flash storage, five gig ports, and one gig WAN port, USB 3 ports, mini PCI Express ports, SATA Express, SIM card slot, and pin headers. So, um, just in case you want to get freaky with your router. Um, wow. so, you know, this could be, you know, you could have like a DMZ. This could be a web enabled NAS. Um, lots of things you could do with this if you want to have something more than, you know, whatever off the shelf kind of thing you get from Linux or Asus. And you don't want to take the time to do, uh, DDWRT yourself. Uh, you're going to pay for it. You know, it's, it's not, it's not a $5 blue Linksys box, but you know, if you get a, a good AC router today, it's in that ballpark price range. Ooh. So I, you know, I mean, that's about how much they cost for good ones today. So you're, you're paying maybe a little bit of a premium, but not super much. Um, the Taurus Omnia, if you want to get super Linuxy with your, uh, gateway connected device. And this is an Indiegogo campaign. I'm, 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 is Indiegogo? Correct me oh, if yep. I'm, yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that Indiegogo, um, you get the money whether you deliver the product correct. or not. Um, so uh, it's not like uh, Kickstarter where they say you have to have the product, you have to have a, 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 a prototype. Uh, Indiegogo is a little more loose. Uh, you know, I don't know that that's good or bad. I'm just telling you it's a thing. Uh, so right now, 189 USD will get you this thing. And I paid, you know, I paid about that for my Buffalo router, uh, right around in that range. Um, and yeah, I would be, I would be totally fine with paying that for this piece of product. I really Yeah, because the, the specs on this, I mean, this is computer specs, uh, running router software. You know, it's not router specs running router software, but you know, here's the thing. They've already got over three times their fixed goal. So I don't right. think they're going to pull, pull a holla out <laughs> and take your money and run. Um, so, but I think it's already, I mean, it's going to happen. It's just, do you want to get in on it? And yeah. you know, before, because they said this is a, uh, 33% off the retail price. So it's probably going to retail for about 250, which, for an end user router, that's a bit much, but when you look at the gateway technology this was designed to be, it's still, that's, that's not ridiculously expensive, said the biggest cheapskate you're ever going to talk to. Yeah, I don't know what it's, uh, I don't know what the shipping from the EU is going to be to the US. So, but you're probably going to, because there's going to be some value added tax and there's going to be some customs. So it's probably going to be over 200. By the time you get it, uh, but that is not out of line for a high-end router. It really isn't for a, a basic route. I mean, for a router router, yeah, um, it's different. This is going to be a little bit different than someone who's running like a PF Sense or um, any of those ha- higher-end big irons. Um, it's just still a beige box with antennas sticking out of it. So, we- but you could run that off of this. You could. I mean, this yes. has. A, you don't need a second box to run that off of. Um, 
Yeah, I, well, I'm not saying that. I'm just making sure that everyone, anyone who's listening knows that this is not a beige box that you, you know, that's running a computer with a, a software such as PFSense or, or any of those, uh, firewall distributions, untangled, et cetera. This is more like a, your Buffalo routers or, um, Linksys boxes, but with much better specs. Yeah. And they may, they offer one that is without Wi-Fi. So, you know, you could just, this could be whatever. But anyway, there's different options there. You can kind of scroll down and take a look at it if you're interested. It's definitely interesting. Uh, the project is definitely, it looks like they got everything figured out as far as the specs go. And as far as I'm reading down here, all these different options that they're offering. And there's a lot of people that are, a lot of big companies talking about them. When you look down about, you know, Tom's Hardware is on on their list of places that have actually worked on, or taken a look at their products. So I, I don't think they're going to pull away and, and take the money and run. But this is definitely, if you don't want to deal with um, open or uh, untangle or any of those high end um, firewall uh, unified threat systems, this would definitely be for you. Yeah, and those. The, the the Buffalo router that I run it runs EDWRT and, and it's got issues and it's not actively developed enough for, you know, uh, somebody who needs updates. There are updates, but they're slow and they're often buggy. It's experimental software. And, and I, I don't know about this one. I worry that this will be the same thing, that it's going to be uh, firmware that's out there and it's going to be, you know, uh, not often updated uh, and slow. And the nice thing about an Untangle or something like that that you run on a box is it's software. And you can put any software you want on the box. And this is firmware, which is different. So, you know, I'll let you make your own decision. You're all big boys and girls. But this is definitely an experimenter's tool and probably not something you want to plunk down at your uh, small business and just hope for the best, at least not right away. No, not until they've been around for a couple of years and they they get their feet whacked and to find out what they're going to do for updates. Um, You know, it it is coming from the Czech Republic, so... You know, people might want to pay attention there. You know, we, we don't know what type of, of software security they're going to go through to, to do their updates. So, yeah, that's true. But, you know, at least, at least it's not the NSA. It's whatever <laughs> the Czech Republic's version is. So, you know, you can just because something's from America doesn't mean anything as far as security these days. It just means that, you know, you have one of the largest funded, uh, intelligence agencies has direct route to everything you own versus this way they have to intercept it at the docks and screw with it and ship it to you at a reasonable time. <laughs> That's the only difference. So I've been looking at, at building a new Boris box on something much more high end, like like an Intel Nook or something like that. That's that's fanless and quiet and low power, um, and just hang some some. Uh, uh, antennas off of it and some uh, ethernet ports off of it uh you don't end up saving any money like that but you can you know you can get what you want you know like i said for many years i ran my boris box off of um just an old laptop but it was sitting behind the router uh excuse me behind the the wi-fi so uh the one i'm using right now is integrated wi-fi i i still haven't decided which of those i think is the better way to go there's pros and cons to both uh, one of the downsides of running your Wi-Fi behind your firewall is that if once they get to the Wi-Fi, they've already bypassed the firewall. Um, 
running it on the front side of it or integrated with it, you have a little more control. But I've been considering uh, spending, you know, $350, $400 on a piece of hardware specifically to run my own uh, uh, box on it. And, uh, you know, this, this may fill the need, but not, I'm not going to plunk down that on it until it's been proven a little bit. And something like PFSense or Untangle has been proven. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, and the hardware I can, I could drop it on an Intel PC and, and I've got proven hardware and proven software. So, you know, that's, that's just, your mileage may vary. That's where I come down on it though. But I'm glad things like this exist. I'm, I'm not convinced that the ARM architecture is the way to go. Um, the best software I've seen runs on the I-86 architecture. Um, and the the ARM stuff tends to be more limited. It's usually the way it works. It's the that's the way that architecture architecture works. Ooh. Right. But but having said that, all most of the big iron is moving to the ARM architecture. A lot of the the Cisco stuff that's out there right now is all a I eighty six. But they're making a move to ARM because there's power benefits and things like that. So there are there are smart minds way smarter than me working on it. Uh, but I just don't think they're there yet. I mean, I, uh, all, all of my old uh, enterprise-grade stuff uh, ran like 386 and 486 processes. They're old uh, architecture, but still the x86 architecture. No comments? Okay. So next story, uh, it's been a year since Mozilla parted ways with Google, and they're still around, although every time I launch a blank page in Mozilla, I get a, hey, please give us some money message. Yeah, I, I turned that off and I said, mine, show me none. Um, but yeah, so, you know, we know because, well, I mean, we've talked about it a lot. Uh, everybody's talked about it a lot. Um, Firefox, uh, their developer companies, Mozilla, and they use, they generate like all and not all, but almost all of their money off of sponsorship deals. And in the past, it's been with Google and Google paid them very well, but now not so much in America. It's Yahoo and in other countries like Baidu in China, uh, things like that. But in their 2014 um, financial report, it was just shy of $330 million in revenue, of which 98% came from search deals. Um, and that was 2014. But um, so now it's not going to be Google, but it's probably going to be somewhere similar. So yay, they didn't die when they uh, left, left Google. So I guess that's and, a good but, thing. You know, Every every time you open a new tab or a new page, you get an ad up there in the top left corner. So you know there there's a deal being made with the devil somewhere. I don't get an ad. Well, you don't have the uh, the tabs open, probably. Yeah, no. The, I just uh, I went and said show blank page. So yeah, and the, when I open yeah. a blank page, I get nothing but a blank page. So you have your set as not your top sites and include a suggested site. You have your set to show just a blank page. Under your new tab that controls. Yep. Yes. Yeah. And I like the the most recent, most visited sites. Um, those those are the things that I tend to go to, and they save me a click. Uh, but there is there is an ad there, and you know I've I've been on on the record many times on this show saying I'm not anti ad, but uh, you know they. You start walking a line when you start making those kind yeah. of deals. The best ads are the invisible ones, right? The referrals, the Amazon uh, referral link, elementopi.com slash Amazon is, is invisible. 
Um, it's there, and you're going there. You're using it because I recommended you, and you want to support me. But it doesn't change your experience at all. That's the way the Google thing was. It was invisible. Uh, but you know, the invisible things don't char- don't pay as well because advertisers want visibility. So there's somebody's going to take their pound of flesh somewhere. Yep. All right. All right, that uh, that wraps up our news. Seth, tell us what amazing thing in geek history happened this week. All right, November the twenty seventh, nineteen ninety five, Browser War One commenced when Microsoft shipped IE two point um, You know, so that was BW one. Um, BW two kicked off uh, years later when uh, <laughs> the remnants of Netscape launched uh, Firefox one, but the uh, the war to end all browser wars started when Microsoft um, released IE 2.0, and they got slaughtered in the early going because it's a far crappier product. And then they realized, hey, we've got a lot of money. Let's just give this away and put our competitor out of business. And so um, eventually Microsoft won Browser War 1 because they just overwhelmed the competition because they had the coffers to fight and the other ones didn't. But people don't remember this. Like Netscape was like, 70 80 bucks something like that Um, there was a time when you went to the store and bought a shrink wrapped box of software that had your browser in it and it was not cheap it was very very expensive Mm -hmm. and this is back when money um actually could buy you something (laughs) so it took a lot of that money to get you a thing to go look at i mean really there the web back then was nothing Oh my gosh, it was it was nothing compared to today. Yeah, that's true. Um and the 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 reason that it had to be uh down uh, software in a box is because you couldn't download anything over a 144k modem. Yep. It would, you know, <laughs> it just didn't work that way. Uh so this idea now of of instant installation, you know, that I was talking about a while back where uh my kids don't know how to install software, they just click a button and it's there. Uh that didn't that there's so many infrastructure things that had to happen before that could be possible. Um, and in this time, in 1995, you couldn't do that. And so you went to the store and, and, and you bought software. And Microsoft started selling their product. And it was terrible. And they couldn't compete. <laughs> um, so they started making it better. And by 3.0, they were pretty good at it. By 6.0, they were the best. Um, they well, didn't stay that way long. By 6.0, they had destroyed the competition. So, I mean, I could have had a browser out, and it would have been the second best. So, Chris, sounds like there's a party going on over yeah, there. It's just my daughter having a blast outside my room. <laughs> All right, Seth. So your, uh, your uh, link of the week, your show-closing spectacular, will also help you have a blast, maybe. Yes. Um, this is... Um, it's called uh, Datebox. So get datebox.com. Chris, this is like the, you know, we've talked about other different box, like the loot box yep, and things great. like that. This is kind of a way to, you. They once a month, they send you out a box. And this would be great for couples to go and you can, you know, have a date night with the stuff that comes in the box. Sometimes it's like a recipe on how to cook stuff, just different things. And I found this on a different website. So if you, if you decide you want to do this and you really should, you can type stronger marriages, all one word, um, no spaces and get your first month free. So get datebox.com and you know, 
put some effort into maintaining, you know, you put effort into updating the software on your computer to keep it running good. You should put some effort into your relationship to keep it running good with your spouse. So, um, you know, you, you do this and then you're free for game night or whatever. So Datebox, get Datebox.com for your relationship survival needs. You know, the struggle is real. I, you know, I've been married 21 years and I have three kids and we schedule dates four to six weeks yeah. out because that's just what you have to do. You know, oh, to be carefree and 20 years old when I could look at my new bride and say, want to drive to Orlando tonight? And she'd say, sure. And we'd go, um, you know, that, that just doesn't happen when you're, you know, when you're me. <laughs> So uh, a date, subscribing to this, see, this would actually be good for me because it would force me. But going back to the previously uh, aforementioned tightwadness, if I'm paying for this, by golly, I'm going to use it. And it's going to force me to go on at least one date a month. Well, that's not a bad thing either. You know, especially for the, the couples no. that when you're, when you're first starting out to get in the habit of ha- spending that one-on-one time with your significant other, um, it, it's... It's a cool way of doing it. I, I like the idea. I might have to see if the wife will sit down and maybe we'll try a couple of months and see what happens. So I had this grand idea a while back. I've got three daughters and a wife. Uh, that's four people. There's four Fridays in a month. Uh, so every Friday night, I would have a date with one of my my girls. I'd have a daddy-daughter date uh, or I'd have a wife date. And on, on months with five Fridays, it would be a family date. It was such a neat idea. I think we got two of them, <laughs> and stuff just fell in the way. You just can't, you can't do that when you got kids and activities and stuff. You just can't plan something every week. As much as I wanted to, and I love, I love my daddy daughter dates, and I love my mommy daddy dates. Um, you just, I, there's just no way I can do one a week right now. So we're we're struggling to do those sort of things because you know, uh, as a dad, uh, you know that your 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 daughters need some of that that time to, to know that they're special. Um, and it's something that it's important to do. Uh, and you've got to, as a dad, it's the way I see it, it's my job to show them how a date should treat them when they start dating. Right. Mm -hmm. But, um, it's just, it's really tough and the struggle is real people. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm all about this, uh, date box. If it, if it helps somebody, um, thanks. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. I was looking, trying to find, something that comes on that tells you what is in it. And that is the, um, what's there's a video that I can't watch right now, but otherwise the video just says, Hey, you should do this. It's really awesome. Yeah. I was, I don't, I haven't seen anything that tells you what it is. I don't think it's show. I don't think it can show you because then it wouldn't deal with, you know, it would show you, it would ruin the surprises, but they should have some examples listed on their site somewhere. That's, uh, okay, so here we go. Like a chef's culinary experience. Chef instructed video, um, recipe, and fresh ingredients. So, so that's like, that's one of them. And then, you know, so there you go. Yeah. And uh, that's great. You just got to find a kitchen and some place, uh, the kitchen that's clean, which is not mine ever, and some place to keep your kids. And then yeah. you can do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, and say what I would what I would have to do for that, and I'm not saying I'm opposed to it. I would have to rent a hotel room with a kitchenette to be able to do that, because well, my kitchen routinely has uh, brownie bars <laughs> and bits of homemade soap 
uh, on the counter sure. somewhere. And my house currently has uh, how to make crystal kits all over the house. So we're making sugar and salt crystals and, and copper. Uh, the grow your own thing. The copper crystals were the coolest, though, so far. All right. I think we have rambled on long enough, actually far too long. So I will say uh, this is the part of the show where I tell you how you can contact us. Go to elementop.com. Click the Contact Us button at the top of the page. That presents you with a nice form to fill out that uh, sends me an email that gets priority in my inbox. Uh, If you want to be like Andy and complain about Firefox, bring it on. Uh, If you would like your voice to appear right here alongside mine, dial 559-IAM-OP. That's our uh, Google Voice voicemail. Nobody will answer that call. Uh, just a, a friendly female robot. Um, leave a message, and we'll play it on the air. And uh, we love hearing from you, even when you complain about me. Um, I love those a little less, but still at least it means you cared enough to complain. Don't forget the uh, Zcast app. You can now comment directly in that app, and I appreciate that, and that's super cool when you do. Um, but uh, as I so many say so many times, this is uh, listener-programmed radio. We do what you say, more or less. Kind of, when we feel like it. Uh, don't forget, the the days are numbered for Everyday Linux. Uh, we have about uh, four, more, three more after this one of this episode, uh, of this show. And then Everyday Linux will cease to exist to be replaced by the Geek Rant podcast. Same show, more or less, different name. Uh, we're just going to, uh, again, we're going to admit what we are not. We are not a Linux show. We haven't been for a long time, so we're just going to stop pretending. The show, uh, your feed should stay the same. Um, and I think we're going to keep the same numbering structure even. So the first episode of Geek Rant will be episode 221 um, because it's the internet. You can do whatever That's you right. want. So I already have for a name for that one too, by the way. You, it just okay, to me. great. So. <laughs> Thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for listening. Uh, give us a rating and a review in whatever, uh, however you download and listen to pi- uh, podcasts. Tell other people about us. If you want to throw money at us, there's ways to do that on the website. Go to patreon.com. That would be awesome. Uh, I, in fact, uh, I want to say I got a um, an email from uh, Captain Zero. Uh, I had said previously that we didn't care if you uh, pledge a penny. Uh, well, apparently there's been some changes to Patreon. You can't pledge a penny anymore the minimum pledge is a dollar but then you can go back and edit your dollar pledge down to a penny so Mm. there you go Uh, it's all about it's all about the numbers um you know i i don't necessarily your money is nice and i like it but it more than that i just want to see a a show of solidarity and i want to show the world and you know people often often ask us how many listeners do you have when an advertiser comes to us and said and those are those are hard numbers to come up but if i can point to a patreon page and say go look for yourself three thousand people are supporting supporting us uh then that that has value so do that, please. Go to patreon.com, sign up. It, there's, there's no hidden agenda there. Um, they, 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 you, do, you do have to give them a credit card. There is that, uh, or a PayPal account. But they don't charge you unless you tell them that you can. And you can set the maximum. I, I, don't, I haven't tried it, but I'm pretty sure you can set your maximum monthly at like a nickel. So if, we, if you pledge a dollar an episode and we release 300 episodes in a month, um, you will still get charged a nickel. If you if you pledge to five hundred people all a dollar each, but your maximum is a nickel, you'll still get a nickel. That makes you kind of a troll. Don't do that. <laughs> but I'm just telling you, if you're worried about the money, uh, there are ways to not have to spend money and still sign up. I, I want you to spend your money. I want you to give me your money. But more than that, I want you to give me your support. I want you to put your name on a document that says I support the Element OP Productions. So please do that. 
Uh, thanks for hanging out with us. I'm going to say that ends this episode of Everyday Linux. Everyday Linux.